0: Chapter 9 of the Blue Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. The Blue Envelope by Roy J. Snell. Chapter nine. A Close Call. They had made half the distance to the village. Hopes were running high. When something occurred that threatened disaster. Far up on the side of the hill, along the base of which they were traveling, there stood here and there a clump of scraggly, wind torn fir trees. Suddenly there appeared from out one of these clumps of scrub trees a gray streak. Another appeared, then another, and another until there were six. They did not pause at the edge of the bush but rushed with swift gliding motion down the steep hillside and their course led them directly toward the little caravan six gaunt gray wolves they were a pack of brigands in the arctic desert perhaps marion who rode on the last sled saw them first perhaps adalat the native did at any rate before she could scream a warning to him he had slapped his reindeer on the back and the sled on which marion rode shot forward so suddenly that she was nearly thrown from her seat in driving in the north they do not travel single file but each deer runs beside the sled of the one before it the driver who is to occupy the foremost position chooses the best trained reindeer and attaches two reins to his halter that he may guide him the drivers who follow use but one rein by jerking this they can cause the reindeer to go faster but they have no power to guide him. He simply trots along in his place beside the other sled. Marion had thought this an admirable arrangement until now. It left her free to admire the sharp triangles of deep purple and light yellow which lay away in the distance, a massive mountain range whose tops at times smoked with the snow of an oncoming blizzard. Or, if she tired of this, she might sit and dream of many things as they glided over the snow. But now, with a wolf-pack on their trail, with the nearest human habitation many miles away, with her reindeer doing his utmost to keep up with the racing lead deer, that slender jerk-line with which she could do so little seemed a fragile lifeline in case of emergency. With wrinkled brow she watched the pack, which now had made its way down the hillside, and was following in full cry on their trail. They were not gaining, her heart was cheered by that. At least she did not think they were. Yet, yes, there was one, a giant wolf, a third larger than his fellows, outstripping the others. Now he appeared to be ten yards ahead of them, now twenty, now thirty. The rest were only holding the pace of the reindeer, but this one was gaining and there was no mistaking that. She shivered at the thought. It was a perilous moment, and she felt so helpless. She longed to urge her deer to go faster. She could not do that. He was keeping his place with difficulty. She could only sit and hope that somehow the wolf leader would tire of the chase. Even now she was not sorry they had come, but it was unfortunate, she thought, that there were no rifles on their sleds. Adelat had taken with him only an old-fashioned native lance a sharp steel point set upon a long wooden handle that was all the weapon they had and foot by foot yard by yard the gaunt gray marauder was coming closer Marian fancied she could hear the chop-chop of his frothing jaws then suddenly came catastrophe with the mad perversity of his kind her sled-deer suddenly turning from his position beside the sled whirled about in a wide sweeping circle which threatened to overturn her sled and leave her alone defenceless against the hungry pack it was a terrible moment gripping the ropings of the sled with one hand she tugged at the jerk rein with the other it's no use she cried in despair i can't turn him one glance down the trail turned her heart faint Her sled deer was now racing almost directly toward the oncoming pack. The gray leader was not a hundred yards away. In desperation, she threw herself from the sled, and grasping at some dwarf willows as she slid, attempted to check the career of the mad deer. Twice her grip was broken, but the third time it held, the deer was brought round with a wrench which nearly dislocated her shoulder and now the deer for the first time scented danger with a wild snort he turned to face the oncoming foe a large deer with all his scraggly antlers might hold a single wolf at bay but this deer's antlers had been cut to mere stubs that he might travel more quickly with such weapons he must quickly come to grief it was a tragic moment marian searched her brain for a plan Flight was now out of the question, yet defense seemed impossible. There was not a weapon on her sled. Suddenly her heart leaped for joy. The fight was to be taken from her hand. Adalat, with the faithful oversight which he exercised over those entrusted to his care, having seen all that had happened, had whirled his deer about, tied it to Lucille's sled, and now came racing over the snow. He swung above his head the trusty native lance which meant defeat to so many wild beasts in the days of long ago. But what was this? Instead of dashing right at the enemy, the Eskimo boy was coming straight for the reindeer and on the opposite side from that on which the wolf was approaching. He doesn't see the leader, Marian groaned. He thinks the rest of the pack are all there are. But in another second she knew this to be untrue, for stooping low the boy appeared to go on all fours as he glided over the snow. He was stalking the wolf even as the wolf was stalking the deer. Realizing that the wolf was planning to attack the deer and not her, Marian set herself to watch a spectacle such as she would seldom witness in a lifetime. She had often seen the antics of the Eskimos and the Chukchi hunters, as they performed in the Cosgi (common workroom) during the long arctic nights, she had seen them go through this gliding motion which Adelaide practiced now. She had seen them turn, leap in the air, and kick as high as their heads with both feet, landing again on their feet with a smile. She had admired these feats, which no white boy could do, but had thought them only a form of play. Now she was beginning to realize that they were part of the training for just such emergencies as this. Now her eyes were on the wolf, and now on the boy. As the wolf approached, she cringed back to the very end of her jerk-line. She saw his red tongue lolling, heard the chop-chop of his iron jaws, and caught the wicked gleam of his eyes. The boy appeared to time his pace, for he came on more slowly. THE DEER, STILL FACING THE WOLF, GAVE FORTH A WILD SNORT OF RAGE. HE APPEARED TO BE UNCONSCIOUS OF THE FACT THAT HE WAS AS DEFENSELESS AS HIS DRIVER. NOW THE WOLF WAS BUT A FEW YARDS AWAY. SUDDENLY PAUSING, HE SPRANG QUICKLY TO THE RIGHT, TO THE LEFT, THEN TO THE RIGHT AGAIN. BEFORE THE DEER COULD RECOVER HIS BEWILDERED SENSES, THE WOLF LEAPT FULL FOR HIS SIDE but someone else had leaped too with a marvellous spring the eskimo boy landed full upon the reindeer's back coming face to face with the surprised and enraged wolf he poised his lance for the fatal throw but at that instant with a bellow of fear the deer bolted in wild consternation marian tugged at the skin rope in another moment she had the deer under control and turned to witness a battle royal the eskimo had been thrown from the deer's back but agile as a cat he had landed upon his feet and had turned to face the enemy he was not a moment too soon for with a snarl of fury the wolf was upon him for a fraction of a second the lance gleamed came a snarl half of rage half of fear as the wolf fell backwards but he was on his feet again. It was to no purpose. All was over in an instant. Long practice with the lance had given the boy the power to baffle his enemy and send the lance straight to the wild beast's heart. Come! Marian was startled by the sound of his voice at her side. She had managed to retain her hold on the jerk rein. She now felt it being taken from her, knew that she was being lifted onto the sled, and the next moment sensed the cool breeze that fanned her cheek. They were racing away to join Lucille and to continue their journey. As she looked back, she saw the cowardly pack snarling over the bones of their fallen leader, and realized that all danger was past, settled down into her place with a sigh as she said, That, that was a very close one. Too much close, Adellat smiled back in north. We must go. how you say it, pre pre prepared, supplemented, Marion, We'll never travel again without rifles, oh, yes, maybe, the boy smiled back, maybe all right, maybe rifle miss fire, him never miss fire. He patted first his lance, then the muscles of his strong right arm. Better prepared think mine. Marion smiled as the brown boy ran ahead to free his own deer and prepare to continue the journey. Surely, she thought, physical fitness is a great thing. The boy has paid us well for fighting his battles for him on Puget Sound. No further adventures befell them on their journey, but it was with thankful hearts that they saw the familiar outlines of the village at East Cape. As the reindeer came to a stop, they sprang from their sled, but Adelaide made no move to follow them. "'Me, I go back,' he said gravely. "'You safe. I no stay.' "'But you must rest and eat,' remonstrated Lucille. "'And the reindeers, they need rest.' huh came the answer with a shrug. "'Better time to rest when all work is done. Me young, reindeers young, we rest at camp.' "'But you must wait till I—I—well, there is something that I—that you—' Lucille fumbled for the right words. She sensed that the boy, for all his youth, had a grown-up way of looking at things. There was that talisman she had carried ever since that night he had left them there on the island of Puget Sound, the three elk-teeth set with jade and an uncut diamond. "'Don't let him go, Marion, until I come back.' She darted into their igloo to return an instant later, the odd jewel gleaming in her hand. At sight of it, a smile spread over Adalat's face. "'Tch!' he chuckled. "'You must take it back,' Lucille demanded. The boy threw back his head and laughed boisterously. "'It is a charm,' he said. "'Can one tchotchke take back a charm? It will keep you, what you say, safe, yes.' "'Me, I have this,' he held up his lance. "'But you must,' urged Marion in return. "'Must? Hear you that, reindeer? Haya, Let us go!' He waved his lance aloft in farewell. hay Mush!' he commanded, and the three reindeer broke into the untiring stride that would soon carry them from sight. The two girls stood watching him till, with a last wave of his hand, he disappeared around a hill. Then, alone again, they thought of Phi. "'I wonder if he has gone on without us,' said Marian. "'I wonder.' "'No, there he is,' exclaimed Lucille. "'He's coming down the hill to meet us.' "'Are—are are we too late?' Lucille faltered as he reached their side. "'About six hours, I should say,' Phi grinned. Six hours?' His Nibs, the old Chukchi guide, left for Cape Prince of Wales and all suburban points some six hours ago. Someone offered him more money than I did. I have a fancy it was your friend, the bearded miner, who wanted my mail. And you waited for us? Naturally, since the guide left. But you could have gone sooner. Some three days, I'm told. But you didn't? He smiled and shrugged his shoulders marion's head whirled she was torn between conflicting emotions most of all she felt terribly ashamed here was a boy she had not fully trusted yet he had given up a chance to escape to freedom and had waited for them i beg your pardon she said weakly she sat down rather unsteadily on the reindeer sled we couldn't help it she said presently they just wouldn't bring us back isn't there some other way? I've thought of a possible one. I'll make a little try out, be back in an hour. Phi was off like a flash. A few minutes later the girls thought they heard him calling old Rover, who had been left in his care. Wonder what he wants of him, said Lucille. I don't know, said Marion, but I do know I'm powerful hungry. Let's go find something to eat. End of chapter 9